Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Flowerpot Podcast. Today I've got with me Thomas McBride. Hello. Hello. Thomas. Uh, Thomas is our industrial year placement student for uh, 2020 to 21, uh, which he did with another student called Katie Ritchie. So Thomas, could you just give me a little bit of background about yourself? Where do you come from? Yes, yeah, so I'm from Warwick, which is a small town right in the middle of England. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, quite countrified. Um, I grew up, my house is kind of, I can see the centre of Warwick from one direction and I can see the fields with the sheep in from the other direction. So I kind of always grew up really near to the countryside. And did that give you um, an, an interest in the countryside because you were just playing in it and walking around or was there a family member who talked to you yeah, about it? Yeah, I mean, lots of different things really. I, I would very regularly go on walks, usually with my dad and sometimes my brother would tag along. Um, depending if he was in the mood. Um, we'd go all across the fields. There were loads of kind of footpaths, public footpaths near my house. And we were lucky enough, we have a golf course that's not far from our house. And there's a periphery all the way around it with like a nice public footpath. So it means that rather than kind of farmers just leaving a tiny strip of wild, there was a good, you know, sort of quarter of a mile width of, of kind of wild land all the way around. So I kind of learned butterflies, birds and everything at a very early age and plants as well, obviously. Um, and how did that sort of impact when you were looking, when you're at school and you're looking at A-levels and beyond that? Did you choose A-levels because you were interested in nature? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I definitely used a little bit about how I did in my GCSEs to kind of give me a bit of an idea as well, but I knew I wanted to do biology for certain. Um, and then I wasn't sure geography or chemistry. I went with chemistry in the end. I've always been quite interested in the um, kind of cell biology but also a lot to do with kind of pigments and and flavor compounds and all sorts of things that plants produce that i find quite fascinating oh, so yeah, yeah. organic chemistry was really my bag as well so i did chemistry um, and then my third one was music which um, i've always been someone who's kind of straddled the line between being a creative person and a scientific person so yeah it's always good both. in my experience people can mix the two yeah, yeah have a much richer experience yeah, yeah so from there thomas you decided to go to university and you chose where so i didn't have a lot of choice because i had made the decision early on that i definitely wanted to study botany well i went and looked and found that botany had stopped being a subject it's amazing, isn't it? in 2010 so Stunning. Um, plant science is what i had to do um, which meant that the first year was more generalist and then I was able to kind of go into what I was more interested in in second year. But yeah, so I had a few choices. Um, my second choice was Aberystwyth. I could have gone there, but my first choice where I have gone and I'm a student at is Nottingham. Um, so the uni of Nottingham, um, our campus is not actually in Nottingham City itself. It's this nice agricultural campus uh, about six miles from Loughborough, um, just on the Nottinghamshire Leicestershire border. Um, and again, it's really countrified, it's very nice, it's a small campus and there's lots of kind of nature around, so I felt very at home there. Right. Yeah, yeah. You'd been there for two years before you were given the opportunity to do a placement somewhere? Yes, so um, did my first year um, all the way through and then did my second year. Um, we had a placement student, kind of um, a group of people that would help us and kind of work out where we were going to go on placement. Um, because it wasn't, it is optional, um, but also they said it's a really good thing to do. Um, and I always thought, yes, actually, I do think I'd like to do that. Um, so, yeah, the placement team there helped me decide to come here. Um, and then, of course, 
I didn't quite get to finish second year as I'd have liked because of COVID, but um, yeah, I did my first and second year's uh, exams and everything. And, I don't know if you know this part of Wales before you came here, so it's probably quite a, a big leap of faith for you to come here. So what, what was it about the Botanic Garden that made you want to come here for a year? Um, well, for one thing, there isn't a huge amount of choice um, of placements. Like, there were a lot of placements out there where I could have done something more horticultural based or more directly ecology based. But actually, in terms of places that were really plant focused, um, there weren't many. I looked at Kew, mm -hmm. um, but I decided Kew was kind of too big an organisation and living in a city was not really for me. So um, it seemed a really natural choice to kind of pick here. And also, um, you bring up that I may not know it, but actually West Wales was a very frequent place that we go on holiday um, as children. Um, so not Carmarthenshire, I'd passed through it before. I'd yeah. been to Carmarthen like once when I was about nine, but um, we mainly stayed kind of anywhere between like St David's and then north up the coast to kind of Aberystwyth. We, stay, yeah. we stayed in, near Cardigan quite a few times. Um, so I knew that area well, so I'm, it wasn't too far from places that I knew. So you, when you came down here, as you've already alluded to, it was time of COVID, and I'm, I feel so sorry for you and Katie when you first came down. I mean, it's obviously so exceptional. So you're brave to still go through with it? Yeah, well, we were delayed by a bit. You know, we should yeah. have started um, at the start of August, but we started at the start of October, so we missed out two months. Um, and so now I'm, I'm trying to gain back a tiny bit of time, so my placement will almost be 11 months, but it should have been a full 12. Right. And where did you uh, stay? Because I think people don't know about the yeah. accommodation that we have around here. Um, so, well, most students for the previous years um, stayed in a place called Brincois, which is um, not far from the entrance to the Botanic Garden, a little bit round, this sort of like a small ring road that goes around the garden. And, but for various reasons, we weren't able to stay there, so they opened up to us the farmhouse um, at Pantugan Farm which is the main working farm here at the National Botanic Gardens. And these are all uh, farms that were built uh, as starter farms in the 1930s exactly. and 40s, yeah. aren't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, they picked a good one because Pantugan is, it's got the original building, but then it's got an extension on as well. So actually, um, it's very comfortable living. It's got three bedrooms, so um, it's a really nice place. And there's a direct path that takes me into work. So it's about a mile and a half to walk into work which, apart from when it's raining like today, is usually a really lovely trek into work. Is it a mile yeah. and a half? I mean, I've done that walk many half, times, yeah. but I, you kind of get familiar with the place, and it's really, that seems like quite a long way. It's when you're walking yeah. along at a slow pace and looking for plants and doing all that sort of thing, it doesn't feel like far, but when you're suddenly like, oh, I need to be at work in half an hour, march, march, it's, it, it feels like the half mile and a half it is, but it's a nice walk. I'm really glad that... Um, I don't have a car with me um, and I yeah, was able to walk it because yeah, apart from on a few days where I got very wet, most days it's really real joy and you know it's really great for the mental health. And actually yeah. really interesting from what you oh, say Thomas, because we'll come on to yeah. this maybe later, but let's let's just do some of the wildlife yeah, you've seen yeah. on your walk in. What a commute to work. Uh, if I try and go in like physical order from the things I've seen, you know, right up close to the house especially in the evenings, in like winter when you come back, there's bats around yeah. um, and moths and frogs and everything. And then you can, there's rabbits. There's, um, I've seen really interestingly a pair of red starts um, oh, that yeah. I saw in sort of, I can't remember, was it March time I saw them? 
I don't know, but a while ago we'll now. come back to the red stuff. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that's had a really Definitely. important resonance here. Um, but yeah, saw them. Um, loads of butterflies. There's caterpillars all over the nettles across. Um, wild garlic. Um, uh, what else have I seen? Loads of bees. Um, there's always like meadow pipits, which I haven't seen up close before. There's stone chats, birds. Um, there's woodpeckers all over the place. Um, I've seen, walking a bit further on down the hill, I've seen egrets on the lake a couple of times. Um, Which is a fascinating bird, because ten years ago you've never got egrets. No, it's, it's amazing. Um, I've seen wild orchids. Um, just recently we've seen, um, there's a helleborine in, uh, near the waterfall, Pont Gap, around there. Carpets of bluebells. Oh, it's just amazing. There's so much wildlife, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Have you seen the otters here? Because I've never seen the otters I here. I haven't. It's really no. disappointing to me. Katie saw them once. I know she And did. I was very jealous yeah. because I've come really early in the morning. I've stayed really late. I've sat and waited for half an hour. Never seen the otters. So I'm holding out. I've got just over a week left here. I might still see them. <laughs> but Thomas, also though, you've not mentioned the barn owls that you've oh, been, my goodness. Yes, because of course, yeah, they, they come out a little bit later than my commute walk. But yeah, it's been fascinating these past kind of two or three weeks. They've just gone quiet now. I don't know whether the um, the owlets have fledged. But This I've is a nest of barn owls in a beach tree near Big beech tree not far from the farm. And I've just gone out on an evening walk about nine, half nine, seen both the parents coming in, one with like a bowl in its mouth or something. Uh, and you can hear the owl chicks kind of going... <laughs> and they make this really like quiet but also scary noise up in the nest. I think, um, Thomas, we just need a little replay of the <laughs> sound of that. Get close to the microphone and give that... <laughs> that's great mate I've, I've, I've never heard that sound myself yeah so, so um, yeah that's been incredible really to hear those okay so um, but when you first came to the botanic garden who was you, your supervisor here um, yes yeah, so throughout my time here officially although to begin with um, I had a lot more to do with her she was setting most of my tasks um, was Laura um, this is Dr. Laura Jones, yeah. who we had on a previous podcast. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, Laura um, has just recently, I think possibly in the previous year, finished her PhD here. And, and, and yeah. she, she works generally surrounding, like, um, looking at pollinating insects and their interactions with plants and just the environment at the general garden. So um, she's been a really great person to have as a supervisor. Um, to begin with, um, she got me involved with a lot of the archives of kind of information collected at the garden. So there's been over the past 20 years, which is my whole lifespan, or 21 years now, but my whole lifespan, um, that the garden's been That's open. amazing for me to um, think like that. Yeah, I'm the same age as the garden. Um, <laughs> there's been, you know, countless studies done, um, a lot of them on honeybees, some of them kind of going into DNA and stuff, which is just, I can't believe that the sort of things they do, like collecting DNA from pollen from honey, which just blows my mind. Um, to just kind of observational um, studies, all of that, um, I was given the task of culminating that um, in spreadsheets. So that was a really good introduction to the garden, um, especially on dreary October days where I didn't feel like doing stuff outside and as the weather went, turned into the winter and it got cold, it was good to do kind of all of that stuff online and just kind of learn from the heart of the studies of the garden what the garden was about. Right. Um, and kind of Laura kind of helped me through that and showed me yeah, what was done here really. And then from there, you started to expand and go outdoors, didn't you? Yeah, so um, 
a couple of times. The first outdoor thing we did actually was collecting some seeds with um, Elliot, who's uh, another one of the people who works. Elliot in Waters, science who's yeah. by Philip Wells. Um, yes, so we did a bit of seed collecting, and I was involved a lot with kind of the packaging of the seed and the what sorting of the seed. What did you go and collect? Um, we did Lotus Caniculatus, the bird's foot trefoil, yeah. and also Lathyrus pretensis, the the meadow oh, yeah. yeah. Um And then I also collected some um, of the meadow sweet and a few of the seeds of the. Um, uh, the Devil's Bit Scabious. Was that from around uh, Wine Must Nature Reserve? So, the former two I mentioned were just outside science, yeah. and the other two were kind of um, down by the Wild Garden, almost at the bridge that is the entrance to Wild Garden. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so that was kind of my first foray into being outside. Um, but then quickly, um, I got very involved with um, the education. Um, That's with Paul Smith and Rebecca Thomas. Yeah, so. Um, I didn't see a lot of Paul in the first term. Um, I was very much uh, with Rebecca a lot because we um, were going out and with groups of children, they were mostly, the garden um, has a relationship with the Kamalaja home education um, group. So we have a lot of children coming in um, with their parents who are often incredibly eager to learn. So it was real kind of joy to be able to teach those children alongside Rebecca at that time. You know. Um, she was leading the lessons and I was able to come with her into parts of the garden um, and give anecdotes and kind of move the lesson along and try and kind of make it creative and fun. Yeah. Um, and then this is where it involves you, Bruce. Um, yeah. Kind of the first like major thing I feel like that was really exciting here at the garden was going up to um, the top fields in Winelands to Kai Waxcap. Oh, um, you were a very quick learner, Thomas. Um, yeah, and yeah. anything that's colourful. I learn quickly. Yeah. Just, it just fits in my brain. So I was like, oh, there's a yellow one, there's a red one, there's a slightly orangey red one. And then I just kind of learned the names, you know, like the common, the, the, the meadow wax caps, the scarlet wax caps, the parrot wax caps were fascinating. Those really bright turquoisey ones I yeah. found. Um, so that was, yeah, that was when I really felt, oh, I'm, I'm finding my feet here and getting stuck into what this garden's really about. And I knew you, you, you'd listen because you created a little leaflet then, didn't you, for the home schools? And I thought, you know, good pass to me, go have a little proof. Oh, goodness me. He's, he's, That's something I'm... You've learned a lot. I've always been really passionate and, and really interested in creating things that are visually appealing. Yeah. Um, we'll come on to that in a moment with one of my other really main projects I've been here. But yeah, that was a new nice opportunity to, you know, use my photography skills, take some photos of the wax cups we've seen and create kind of a leaflet um, that then the children were able to use. And it was really nice to be able to see your work and in use and see that you're actually being a useful part rather than just some student who's here for a year at the garden, you know. Yeah, that's great. Um, so from the wax apps, you say you've also taken on some new, bigger sort of projects from that, haven't you? Um, so in terms of making things visually appealing and putting out things that, you know, I, so I can get information across to people. Um, one of the main overarching projects that I started back in October and I've almost completed now um, is Plants for Pollinators, um, which is a big section of the website, um, which actually uses, if you remember me mentioning all of those spreadsheets I dealt with at the very start yeah. when I came in October, I was able to put my horticultural uh, like knowledge onto that kind of information and pick out like, ah, okay, so that plant is excellent for pollinators and I recognise that one and I know that's really good in a garden border. Yeah. And so I began with selecting 200 plants that I thought actually those are great for pollinators from this data set, but actually they'd be great in the garden as well. We should tell people about this. Um, and I did those and I made pages that are kind of colourful and interactive and you're just, you can easily gain information from them. 
um, and I spoke to Natasha. Um, who, Natasha DeVere. Yep. Yeah, who um, a head of science. A head of science. Yeah. And um, she was really kind of impressed by the way that I'd made those pages, and she said, "Well, actually, let's make this bigger. Um, go back into that data um, and try and draw out more plants, and kind of do." She suggested I made kind of icons to do with what the pollinators themselves were that liked them. So then I was able to use my drawing skills um, and create kind of bee and butterfly and hogfly illustrations um, and then write information about them um, and create those pages. So I used, you know, I used a lot of my skills and I was really pleased to be able to be useful to put all of that together to yeah. create something which now, you know, several months down the line, there's now nearly 500 plant pages up on the website um, translated into Welsh, which was interesting. Uh -huh. And yeah, kind of links, um, shows you where they're from in the garden. Um, yeah, it was a, it's been a big project, but I'm really proud that I've been able to do it. And I, it's great just as a sort of a visual quirk of the garden. If people have been walking around, a lot of I mean, I've, I've noticed it myself, people walking around and seeing this young lad sort of sat motionless, looking <laughs> at a plant for over half an hour maybe with a pen in hand or a piece yeah. of paper but, but you just sit and look in a very um i don't think i could do it i'm not sure that i have the patience to sort of sit for half an hour and look like that but it's been great you're almost like a, a contemporary art piece <laughs> i had a couple of people say oh are you drawing i was like no well i might be drawing i like drawing but no i'm, I'm observing um, and i don't think most people in life almost have that um they feel they can allow themselves time to do this, but I can see how important it has been for you to do that. Yeah. And, and presumably, as, as you've been looking, by giving half an hour, you can see so much more than if you just had a quick glance. And, yeah, and I know it from the perspective of drawing that you sit for ages and you see so much more, but it's in the same way, you know, I've trained my eyes since I've been here to pick out so many things that I'm you know, seeing over that period of time. Um, that, you know, when I'm on nature walks now, I'm just like, there's something there, there's an insect there. Um, and also, um, I've learned so much about insects um, through that since I've been here. I've always had the, uh, the plant knowledge, and I came here thinking, well, I'll, I'll learn a bit more about plants, but actually I've learned tons about insects since I've been here, um, doing those kind of observations. If I just take a couple of steps back why I was doing those, all of those data sets went through. We looked at um, Kevin, who's another member of the staff again. here. Um, he looked at, uh, he has a big spreadsheet about uh, which plants the growers um, grow, mm. um, and they needed to know if they were good for pollinators. And of course, we come across this big spreadsheet, and most of the time we go, yes, no, yes, no. And sometimes we come across a plant where we're like, I'm sure I've seen pollinators on that, but we don't have data on it. So that's what I was actually doing in those observations, going out and looking at those plants we weren't sure about. Yeah. Um, but through that, and through working alongside Katie, who um, had all the insect knowledge but not the plant knowledge, we were able to, you know, chat to one another. That's how you've been learning how to identify. So um, through, yeah, a mixture of teaching myself, speaking with Katie, and also Abby, who is another, Abby uh, Lowe. yeah, yeah. Uh, member of the science team here. I've just I learned so much about bees and um, other insects. It's it's really kind of. Um, put a fire in me to kind of learn more and more and now when I'm out I can't just identify the plants but I can identify the insects and everything as well so I'm able to sort of just I love knowing what I'm looking at I've always had a fascination to just keep learning and learning more 
and it's really allowed me to do that since I've and you'll here. never stop learning Thomas how old you get which is absolutely wonderful <laughs> I mean I, I personally I mean I, I you know I've spent hours and hours in looking ID books first of all with plants then with fungi I've done it with insects but I find them really really tough obviously a lot of the time you ask for things are really obscure things to look at you yes. know uh, but do you think you've got a, a more of an instinct now from spending so long definitely um, you can only go so far teaching yourself and looking at reference books you really have to see things in the flesh yeah. um, right at the beginning of the year I was doing like illustrations or trying to look at the differences between like the different solitary bees the mining bees the mason bees and I was I said to Katie these all look the same how do you tell <laughs> these apart but then once you see them in the flesh yeah. you just get an instinctive feeling for why they're different and I think I've always known that about plants yeah. you know sometimes it's difficult to it actually explain the reason why I look at that plant and go, well, obviously that's in this family. I have that as well, exactly the same, yeah. Um, and sometimes it's simple, you know, something in the bean family, oh, it's got a bean pod on it and the leaves look exactly <laughs> like that or the flowers yeah. are the papillionaceous shape. But sometimes it's much more complicated than that. And with bees, to begin with, I thought, they're all black and yellow and stripy and small and they have wings and, you know, I can do about three bumblebee species and I can tell a honeybee. Yeah. But you know, there's there's a whole world opens up once you have that little bit of knowledge that other people give you, and you have that kind of you spend those hours in person just sitting and watching. Excellent. I've got a question for you, actually, uh, Thomas. It's interesting we we use the words pollinators for all insects, but they're not all pollinating, are they? No. So there's um, I've been thrown many times by the soldier beetles that you those sort of long sort of colourful oh, yeah. uh, insects that you get often on a carrot family type plants. Yeah, they like definitely like hogweed a lot. Yeah. yeah, that's right, and hogweed. And they're kind of like, they're predators, aren't they? They're kind of waiting for things to come so they can eat them. Are you recording all insects uh, that come on? Like, I'm not even sure about shield bugs. Does shield bugs actually pollinate? Shield bugs don't pollinate. I know that one for a fact. They are, they're leaf eaters. They, they eat, yeah. Right. They leaf eats, and I'm, I'm not sure if they're also sap suckers, whether they get sugars from the inside of the plant. Um, but I think the majority of beetles um, eat pollen and also um, some of them drink nectar but not all of them but I'm, so, I'm pretty sure most of them do eat pollen um, for, as a protein source that's one, another thing I've learned since I've been here I always thought, oh well, bees go on flowers because they're drinking nectar but actually they're also eating a little bit of the pollen not all of it, because obviously yeah. that would kind of spoil the whole pollinating, <laughs> the reason plants, you know, yeah, yeah. the flowers are there so that, so that they, you know, pass the pollen from one flower to another, but they do eat a little bit and that is their protein source. Right. Um, yeah, because of this complex ecosystem, is that I think that that's yeah. the, uh, the beauty I get from working in a botanic garden, is to understand how everything is interconnected. Yeah. And that we clearly, we're not omnipotent, we can't know the names of everything mm. that's going on. But the more you chat, the more you observe, uh, the more I feel the richness you get. So like you, you can walk into anywhere, almost whatever the piece of land is, as long as it's got a bit of vegetation yes. now, even the street, yeah, a few weeds yeah, yeah. on, and go, oh, right, yeah. yeah. That, that's the and, and, and going back to your question, we were, when I'm doing my observations, um, we're deliberately looking for four categories. Um, we're looking for honeybees, bumblebees, solitary bees, which is pretty much all other bees, and then hoverflies. So those are our four categories. Oh, um, but you've also been looking however, at... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So however, um, twofold things here. I also did record other things I've seen, beetles and wasps and things, just in case that's useful at a later date. Yeah. But it did become immediately apparent to me, hang on, what about butterflies? Yeah. Um, because 
although I've known you know three or four bee species for a while, um, and I've learned so much more since I've been here, I've always had a fascination with butterflies since I was quite little. I've always kind of known most of the common ones. And I thought, hang on a second, isn't there something I can do here that would actually help you out and to record butterflies? So what I've been doing since um, the start of May, uh, and I finished yesterday, and that's the very last day of my, my data collection, is um, going around a four-mile transect around the garden and recording all of the butterfly interactions. Um, so not only is that good to look at just the general how many of each butterfly we have here, looking at population dynamics and where the hotspots are for them, but actually when, there are, when they are on a flower and they're drinking the nectar, um, or indeed they even laying eggs on the, on the larval food plants, it's really useful to have that data because the garden doesn't have it at all. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, I I saw that hole in the data, said, should I fill it? Would that be a good thing to do? Um, Laura and Natasha thought that was a great idea. So I have been working on that. And also, um, I'm now going to be using that data to put forward to my dissertation from my final year at university. Which is going to be about? Which is going to be about the interactions between the nectar plants um, and the butterflies in the different groups. So. Um, hopefully I've got enough data to be able to draw some significant conclusions um, to say, you know, the blue butterflies, they prefer yellow flowers, particularly in the pea family. Um, whereas, you know, the aristocrats, the big butterflies like the peacock, the red-eyed and all the tortoiseshell, um, they would much prefer to be in the garden area rather than out far in the, kind of the wild garden or in one nest or something. They'd rather be yeah. here where there's a big variety. Uh, of, of nectar plants and particularly things like buddleia and verbena and and even just before our chat today thomas i mean you 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 spotted a lot of things that we didn't know were around here so you just told me about the brown argos which i uh, butterfly which i i, I don't I, think has been recorded i was here so before. thrilled wrong, to but. see it yesterday on my final day of recording i saw first of all i saw female brown argus um, drinking from the meadow vegetable flower and, and I got a photo of that and then she flew up and then she was joined by a male and they did a sort of a courtship dance in the air and disappeared off somewhere. Um, but that was incredible to see. Um, I've also seen small blues, just a few of them. I never got a good photo, unfortunately, but... Um, they're, they're, the, they're the more rarer type of blue They are, so they're yeah. even smaller than common blues and they're paler. They kind of, they almost look like a slate grey in some light. Yeah. Um, and I've seen... Uh, brimstones, which are not nationally, like UK-wide, rare at all. They're quite common, but actually around here, because we don't have their larval food plant. Um, well, we do you know what, Thomas? Yeah. Here's an interesting thing, and again, you yeah, keep yeah. getting to learn, I keep learning loads more about this botanic garden, is their food plant is uh, the, the buckthorn. Exactly, yeah. And uh, Rhamnus catharticus, and there's another one called uh, the older buckthorn. Older buckthorn, yeah. Uh, and I knew the older buckthorn was in one, in one of our hedgerows, we have one, one bush there. And I've been going around the Arboretum recently and looking at all the far-flung bits. And blow me, the other day I noticed there's a whole load of uh, buckthorn planted together. Whereabouts? Uh, it's, it, there is a, if you go into the Arboretum, there's a very big uh, lime tree at the top, uh, which is like a very old lime tree there. Yes. And you go, well, you go past the lime tree and you go on another probably 200 yards mm -hmm. and you get a lime of witch elm trees and you go past this line of witch elm trees and the buckthorn is on your right hand oh, side interesting and i had never noticed them i've not really i've only been to the arboretum like twice and that was when i was taking a group of children through so i've never actually explored over there properly oh, um it wasn't a part of my transect going around the garden 
Um, but I've only seen about two or maybe three brimstones since I've been here. And, and um, well, I've been seeing brimstones. I often wonder why I saw them because I thought, oh, where's the buckthorn? You know. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where I think they probably are. So that's, that's great. Still learning. Mm. And I've got to thank you, Thomas, as well for my wildlife highlight of the year, which is. Uh, we, you mentioned before about the you saw the red starts, yes. and red starts aren't very common around this area, and um, it's a bird that I'm not at all familiar with, but uh, you've seen it first of all. You've got other people then looking for it, and and it's one of our conservation volunteers. I think it was them, or maybe it was you, who had noticed a red start going into an an old oak uh, fence post on Wine Last National Lake Reserve. Yeah, so I, I first noticed them near Pantugan. Yeah. They were on a log pile. Um, it must have been, because they are migratory, so it must have literally been the day that they were migrating I saw the pair of them. Um, and they flew right up to the top of the hill towards Kai Tegarianio. Yeah. Um, and that was all I saw of them. Um, and then, so I, because I knew they'd gone up that way, I was speaking to some of the conservation volunteers saying that's where they were. So I guess they went looking for them and they found the nest, which is incredible. Well, for me, as someone who still to this day hasn't knowingly seen the adult, they yes. told me about the Red Star going to this oak post. So I went up there with them one day and we looked into this post, and it's a very big post, but it's very rotten. And we looked inside, and uh, a few inches down, blow me, there were six little mouths gawping away, and it was the little chicks of the Red Star. And I thought, oh, that, that was just so magic for me. Mm. And we pulled away quickly, because we don't want to serve the adults or something. But that quick glimpse I got was yeah. just, to me, that's, that's my highlight of the year, yeah. so thank you. And for then weeks and weeks later, because we get stone chats quite regularly at the top of the hill, and they're closely related because red starts are also a type of chat. Um, and I saw what I thought was the female red star again flying back through. Clearly, the, 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 by this point, the, the babies had fledged. Uh, oh. So they're on their way back somewhere else. And again, this is again the, the beauty of being amongst people who, who are observing nature. We all we can all observe things and some of us have a bit more specialities or a bit more tuned in yeah. and sharing that knowledge is absolutely yeah. wonderful there's just that. so much to see here I mean anyone who's listening to this I'd say just keep your eyes up while you're here because there's such you know high biodiversity here there's so many different things I mean only yesterday um, I saw an elephant pork moth caterpillar oh they, they look really weird don't they with but it was the green one so not the grey one but the green one so yeah. it looked different so I had to look oh, it up but yeah, yeah. so there's so many different species here, and I was, I was going to come on to say I've also had an opportunity more recently to do mothing with the, the, moth, with the volunteers that come in. Who come in, uh, apart from Covid times, but our conservation volunteers come in about every fortnight, and we put the moth trap out at night, yes. and they look at all the moths that are there. Yes, so. so for a while while Katie was here, she was coming in very early. And she I got was, really obsessed with moths, I was she? still in bed. Yeah. I, came in, I managed to make it one morning to do it with her, but you know, I felt... It's too early for me, but now um, the, the mothing volunteers come in a bit later, so I've joined them for a couple of mornings, and also um, Ellen and I, Ellen is our new placement student, yeah. she'll be here for the year 21-22, um, we did one at Pantugan last week, yeah. and we got some great results there, we caught 118 moths. Um, of which I think we counted about 50 species in total. That's great, because you're not considering yourself a moth expert, but you managed to find 50 mm -hmm. So we had moth books, and I, I mean, I pick up some things, you know, I, as I say, anything colourful goes into my head more yeah. quickly. So some of the more colourful moths I've managed to learn the names of now, but some of them are so similar, you have to look through books and 
oh, it's, it takes ages, but it was worth it. It was great to get that list and, and really useful again for the garden just to have more data. And it's a shame we can't have this conversation with Katie because she's finished her year now. But I've just sent her behalf. I know one of the highlights she had was a lime hawk moth, yes. which we've never had recorded here before. And it's a spectacular looking moth. They're incredible. I missed that one in particular, but I did have the opportunity to see one many years ago um, when I was out walking with my grandma. My grandma and I used to do mothing um, at their old house where they used to live. Um, in Wiltshire because they had a whitewashed house and a big porch lamp so yeah. they'd always be on the walls and so we'd see all sorts of things there um, but I did get to see lots of elephant hawk moths since I've been here um, and we also saw poplar hawk moth yeah poplar hawk that was incredible yeah um, really big I think it might be Britain's largest native moth oh is it I think so oh, yeah okay yeah I mean, even things like uh, I went past the other day and they had this em emerald moth yes yeah, wow it's like big green moth. Yeah, I've seen a, a large emerald, a pale emerald, a small emerald, and a common emerald since I've been here. That's great. Yeah. So Thomas, looking back over your year, uh, you've been very unlucky with COVID, but hopefully you've enjoyed it. I have, uh, immensely. You know, it's been um, an amazing place to just kind of, you know, step back from the busyness of modern life, because it actually feels, you know, it is quite isolated here and like in January and February you know the office was shut so it kind of it, it was very isolated indeed you know I saw like two people in three weeks <laughs> and stuff um, but other than that time you know when the garden's been open and I've been in working it's just it's been a fabulous year because I've just been able to kind of take the time to slow down and see everything um, as it is and learn so much since I've been here I mean there's so many things we haven't discussed. Like, I mean, I could talk about the beekeeping. Um, Linda is um, our eco um, kind of worker here and the volunteer kind of apiarist. Um, yeah. She works with a team of, of, of volunteers um, in the three apiaries alongside. Um, there's one at Brinkhoys and there's two in the garden. Um, and it was, yeah, amazing to learn all about them. Um, and what else have I done? Uh, there's, there's just countless things. I mean, um, coming back to Katie for a moment, this was her project, but she and um, Vaughan and Rob, um, who are a couple of other people who work here, have been doing a marsh fertility project. That's been um, amazing. So I have seen them. I, it wasn't my project, but it was fascinating to see them. They've taken them from a couple of sites in Wales and reared a whole generation so that they're not preyed upon, so they've got more of them. Um, than otherwise would be in the wild and then released their offspring um, just to kind of increase the number that there are. Um, so that was incredible to see. Yeah, only yesterday, uh, Thomas, actually I had a little look inside yeah. and you can see all the webs that all yeah. the caterpillars have made in these little cages that uh, Rob and Vaughan have made outside of the mm -hmm. Science Centre. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and I've just, yeah, I've learned even more plants than I knew before <laughs> being around the garden. As of kind of April, May time, um, I was able to start teaching some of the home educated children online and then they, uh, as of May or possibly early June, I can't remember exactly when, they came in and I was able to actually teach my own lessons. You know, Rebecca and Paul had given me a great start yeah. and then I was able to just do them by myself and choose what I was teaching and, you know, I got some really great feedback. You know, I was, I was thrilled with how well the children were interacting with what I was teaching. I imagine, Thomas, you're an enthusiastic sounding lad, aren't you? <laughs> and that's, uh, that's, I think, is a really important quality when we're trying to interest people in nature. Mm. You know, we, 
You need to share our enthusiasm. Yeah. Don't need to hide it. No, I was just, you know, I was thrilled to be told I, would, I explained things really well. You know, I've always yeah. enjoyed teaching and bringing information across to people. And I've learned so much here this year. I'm just, you know, itching to tell people about it and teach them. That's lovely. Yeah. yeah. Well, Thomas, a uh, couple of things before we finish here. Just um, your work that you've done is on our website. Yes. So our website is botanicgarden.wales or gardphotonic.com. So uh, where would they look for your... Uh, so you can look under science um, and under plants for pollinators. Okay. Um, so that's plants hyphen for hyphen pollinators. Um, and that should be in the next newsletter that's coming out. Hopefully it will all be finished um, and the Welsh will have been checked so we can kind of release that properly. Um, and that hopefully will prove really useful for um, anyone who's hoping to start like a Japanese star garden, make a white border, a hot border, plants for a bog garden. Um, there's so many different things out there, plants for a Mediterranean garden. And as I say, there's, there's, there will be 500 pages. There's nearly 500 pages uploaded at the moment. Um, and there's just, you can access so much of our data shown in a way that's kind of accessible um, just to the general public. So yeah, I'd really encourage anyone to kind of have a look at that and get planting and support our pollinating insects. Well, that's great. And if you're on the website as well, if you want to hear any uh, past episodes of this podcast as well, they're all on there. So Thomas, thank you very much. I really enjoyed uh, meeting you this year and I wish you're you well welcome. for the future. Thank you, Bruce.